This episode of the Police One Podcast is sponsored by Officer Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting officerstore.com. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Policing Matters on policeone.com. Thanks for checking in. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, be sure and check us out on our video and graphics version of our shows on the Police One YouTube channel. Well, the future of policing is in the hands of our best recruiting efforts. We're talking about it all the time. There's so many things we should be doing to address the process to speed it up. What other career takes three to nine months hiring process? Are we going to be okay finding applicants with billboards and other passive strategies? I think not. I've talked with people like Rob Kate at Interview Now, who showed us how a high-touch business model of keeping track of potential candidates works. There are software applications that speed up the backgrounds process without physical paperwork and files being sent via snail mail. No more background investigators walking through the halls with big giant binders or file folders full of people's backgrounds waiting for returns in the mail. One agency, my old agency, the SFPD, has turned to someone who has been very successful at recruiting efforts for a college football program. Can it work to recruit law enforcement? You know, I talked with Rob Kate about this. We talked at presentations about how he was recruited to join his uh, Riverside uh, college soccer team and how coaches came to his house. Coach George Rush coached for 38 seasons, racking up 326 wins, 22 conference titles, seven state titles, and seven national championships over his career. After his retirement, he was hired by the San Francisco Police Department to work in recruiting efforts. Welcome to Policing Matters, Coach George Rush. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it a lot. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, at least in our neck of the woods, you are famed for being able to recruit these, uh, you know, blue chip uh, prospects to come play for your uh, award winning and record breaking program. Uh, How did you come up with a recruiting strategy aimed at young college players? Well, you know, you know, actually, when I first started, you know, you really kind of emphasize their athleticism. You know, and then it, then it dawned on me that I wouldn't be at their home in the first place if they weren't a good athlete. So um, I'm just making the same pitch. We're going to do this with you. We're going to do that with you. You're going to be a great player. So something had to differentiate us from the crowd. And I decided to place our emphasis on their academia and their future because most blue chip athletes go to community college or there for one of two reasons. They ever were athletically overlooked out of high school. They were six foot three. 195 pound guy that hadn't grown on his body yet, or for most of them, they were um, academically disqualified from scholarship via the SAT or uh, their their grades. So the point wasn't, if I were recruiting you, it would be, and I'm talking to your parents, it's we don't need to talk about what a great athlete Jim is. I wouldn't be here if he wasn't. I'd be at somebody else's house. you know. But what we do need to talk about is how do we make Jim a great student? And so all our energy went into that. And then we really developed a lot of um, supplemental programs at the college to, to give the students the resources they could fall on and, and, and get academic success. Because some people already had learning disabilities that were behind. 
uh, you know, the public school system, sometimes people are identified with attention deficit disorder and they're placed in special ed and they don't belong in there. It has nothing to do with their intellect, but they're disruptive in class. So that's where they put them. And what you learn there is nothing. You know, you just repeat the same stuff over and again, and you you learn nobody has any expectations for you. So uh, pretty soon you you believe it. You yeah, know, so you have to get people out of that mode and, and think in a positive way. So creating these these programs with the college, um, really working one on one with parents, home visits, you know, on campus visits, um, letting people know that that we really had a generally a personal in interest not just their athleticism, which was the attractions. I don't want to be hypocritical. You know, we're not social workers. We're there because they can play football. But but we are concerned about where are they five years from now? Where are they 10 years from now? Where are they 20? Did we do the right things for them to give them the tools they need to have a chance at success? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was kind of what we came at people. And I think it was extremely successful. And um, it's very rewarding, you know, today to look back over the career and see how successful, you know, many of these young guys have been. And most of them are minority students. Yeah, most of them went on to bigger programs and other uh, good fortune. But how does that relate to recruiting for law enforcement, for the police department you're working for now? Well, it, it does. There's a, there's a real correlation. Um, first of all, people want to feel like they're important. You know, when you know, like the old days when you joined the department, they, the test was uh, the police exam will be given at uh, Civic Center at promptly at 11 a.m. and 3,000 people show up. So the job as a recruiter was just sift through the who passed the test and then pick out your who's going to be in the recruiting, you know, the academy classes. OK, well, it's competitive. The, you know, all the obvious things I'm sure you talk about, I mean, the lack of interest in becoming an officer. So I think the personal touch people understanding that you're important to us, the follow up phone calls. How did you do? Where are you? Did you do this? Do you need help? You know, how can we help you? You know, you know, you know, you know. Women are, as you know, are a huge target, um, you know, to get more, you know, females on, on the on, on all the departments at all levels. But a lot of times they have a difficulty passing the physical ability test. So what can we do to train them so they can pass it, whether it's for SFPD or whatever? So we offer courses in, in physical ability training. You know, I mean, really, you know, it's called, you know, really workout programs. They're called boot camp. We have police boot camp. You know, you know, you know, once or twice a month for people to come and, and really a rigorous workout, but it's specific to how you pass, how you get, climb over a five foot wall, how you get over a six foot wall. You know, I can only do three pushups, but I need to do 20. How do I get them there? You know, those type of things. But I think when it's just like recruiting an athlete, if you believe I have a general interest in your long term welfare, then the likelihood that you're attracted to my program is much greater than you're attracted to somebody else's program. And, you know, like I, like I, I said, I, I kind of opened myself. I had no idea police recruiting was as competitive as it is. You know, it is. I said, this is, I might as well state coaching football. <laughs> I'm doing the same thing, you know, but it's great. It's, it's been really good and it's really rewarding. And, but but I, I think that's a real key for us, you know, how we approach it. Yeah, every, everything you just talked about, you're doing, you're holding these pre-workout uh, boot camps and you're giving them a crack at, taking the test uh, with, you know, no credit involved. Uh, you're doing some tutoring, some hand-holding. I mean, in person, you are a gregarious, affable guy. You, you know, the, I don't know if that'll come across on the this podcast, but, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh 
the former Stanford 49er and now Michigan coach. He was famous for wrestling around uh, on living room floors with these guys, trying to get them to sign with his programs. How are you reaching out personally to some of these uh, young candidates? Well, I, I think we do it a number of ways. Um, we, we have a very, very vigorous uh, program, you know, outreach to the, the, the universities and colleges throughout the state, both at the community college, CSU level, and, and in some degree, some of the UCs. Um, and what we try and do is, is, is be on campus where the students are rather than trying to bring them to us, let's go where they are. And try and get in front of them as best we can uh, you know, by making presentations, spend a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with faculty, uh, administrators on how do we create a partnership between a given university and our police department? Not that we're ex an exclusive relationship because every kid should make up, every person should make the decision of what agency is the best fit for them. But a relationship where they know that we are really generally interested in the long-term welfare uh, and the long-term career of, of, of their students as, as they graduate and move on. The other thing I would like to emphasize, um, we never make students make a decision. So let's say example, we're going into your senior year, you passed everything and you're gonna graduate in August of 2023, but you've done so well, you've been assigned to the February 2023 Academy class. We never make you decide, make a decision, a choice between continuing your education, getting your degree, and in joining the academy. So it's not like, well, if you don't do it in February, you're done. What our whole philosophy is we would prefer that you had the degree. You're a better officer for having that degree. So your option is when you graduate, because you've already been pre-selected in an earlier class, you're the first person selected into the academy immediately following your graduation. And that's a nice place to be in. It's February of your senior year. And you know, there's a job starting at $110,000 waiting for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you give that deferral that I know some of my students are they're at this quandary with me asking, uh, you know, should I take the test now or wait? And I, I encourage them, take it now. Uh, if you do well, great. You can get a deferment um, while you're still in college. Or if you don't do so great, then you know what the questions are. Take another run at it in another six months or so. Well, absolutely. And, and the nice thing is, um, for a long time, the National Testing Network exam was kind of our go-to exam. But the, the 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 caveat with that one is that you can only take it every 90 days. But if you fail the pellet B, you can take it every 30 days. So it gives you a lot of options. So for example, if someone failed the pellet B, they could take the NTN the next day. And if they pass that, they're in. If they fail that, 29 days later, you can take another pellet B. So, I mean, you know, if you take it enough, you know, I mean, I mean, not all these, there's difficult portions of each test, you know, I mean, you know, let's say one's a, a better, better uh, uh, test than another, but, but what it does, it gives you options. And then we, we've, we've same thing with our um, or, oral interviews and our um, physical ability testing. Um, if you fail, you can retake it in 30 days. So it really keeps people involved and not feel, oh, I got to wait 90 days and all of a sudden they're losing interest, something else happens. And then we we follow up that with with personal phone calls, you know, Jim, you know, hang in there, we're with you, you know, let's let's go over what happened in the interview process, you know, what happened in uh, in the test, you feel you, you couldn't get over the wall, well, come on down, let's let's work on getting over that wall, because you're going to do it the next time, you know, and being positive and putting the best foot forward, 
And, and again, I, I think it goes back to my original thought that most people respond to people that really have a genuine interest in it. Not, not a passive interest, but a genuine interest. And I think our recruiters do a very good job, you know, connecting with people in that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hear from students that it is the fear of the unknown that that keeps them from taking the test in the first place. So now they get a couple of practice tests. They actually get to take the test. And if they don't make it, they could take it again. It's not cheating. It is just getting over the hump of exactly what you're looking for. And I have so many students who say, you know, I try to answer the questions that, like a police officer would. And, and I and I keep telling them that is a bad strategy. You've got to go in there, listen to the questions, and then just make good sound decisions based on what they're telling you. Nobody expects you to be a cop walking through the door. hundred percent. You know, and I think you bring up a good point. Um, <clears throat> for example, most tests are written for civilian employees, not for people who are even criminal justice majors. They're just made for your average person coming and taking the test. Now, sometimes you get into some video portions of the NTN and there's a little more depth to it than the obvious. But a lot of people will come to, for example, using our, our agency in particular and, and our, our the public environment of our city, let's say, well, San Francisco is this very liberal, crazy place. So whatever is the craziest, most liberal answer is probably the right one. And it's not. You, you know, some of these are standardized tests. The same tests we give, we give in Tallahassee, Florida, and Birmingham, Alabama, and Laredo, Texas. It's this exactly verbatim test. Just read the question. Don't read into it and don't try and beat the test. Just generally, like uh, the old chief said to me one time, he, he said, you know, you know, one of them is the wrong answer off the top. So you're down to three. And just what does the law require you to do? And what does common sense tell you to do? And you're, you're probably on, on the right track. You know, just don't overthink the test. Right. Good words to live by. Hey, so one of the phrases that I can't stand in policing is we've always done it this way. Making a paradigm shift is really tough to, to get some people that are entrenched in a way of doing things to do something different. And I want to know what's your relationship like to police officer recruiters? How hard was it to convince them of your strategy? Well, the chief was easy. You know, I mean, he was really, he was the easiest one of all because he got it. And then I always worked on spreadsheets. So it would say Jim Dudley. And then you just go, I tell you, every time I talk to you, what we talked about, you know, Jim's running track, Jim's doing this, Jim's doing that. You know, so when I picked up the phone, you knew, I knew about you. I wasn't starting the conversation over again because I've talked to 30 people in between. It was specific to you. So may, may, having people take notes and being aware of, of, of who you're talking to so there is real interest in it. Now, uh, can you tell me a little more about that, Jim? You know, kind of get me up to speed. It was all in front of you. So I always worked on spreadsheets. I would I would say my experience in in with with our agents, in particular in our recruitment unit, is fabulous. Um, I, I think they're very willing to leave the past in the past. You know, you know, it's 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 like coaching football. You know, and 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 kids today, you know, you know, they're doing six shooters and high fives and this. You, you know, in, in 1960, a pat on the butt was you did good. You know I mean, well, that's not getting it done anymore, you know, and recruiting like you did. If it's like it's 1975, isn't getting it done because the people you're recruiting don't have the same mentality or, or, or background coming in as they did. They're much more sophisticated. 
they've been exposed to many, many more things. You know, it's it's a different world. So if you want to be successful, you have to at least to the best of your ability within the parameters of understanding you are a police department, you know, you're not the feel-good society, okay, that that we have to make some changes that make policing more attractive to people. So we've just in the last month changed our whole uh, grooming code is a hundred percent change. You, you would not recognize our grooming code from the one that you had, you know, I mean, you mean, you know, what's permissible and, and, but it doesn't make you less of an officer. It means you look different, but you look like the people you're policing. So who makes a bigger impact when you're on the street? The guy with a buzz cut, you know, he looks like Sergeant Rock out of the comic book from World War II or a guy that looks very similar to the person you're speaking to. Who is that person going to listen to? Who, who's going to pay attention to? Who's going to relate to and say, this person is more in tune with what's happening in my life than Sergeant Rock is, okay? And I think that makes a big difference. And I, I think they're very, very wise to do it. But it does not go, it does not lessen one iota the quality of the character that's doing the policing, that man or woman's character, what they bring to the street doesn't change it a bit or the respect for the law or what needs to be done. Yeah. Everybody's still raising their right hand and swearing that oath. Exactly. Exactly. But, but your ability to relate to the general public is a lot different because it's not, uh Oh, here he comes. It's Mr. Law and order. Here we go. You know, it's, Hey, Hey, officer Smith, man, it's good to see you. You know, that type of thing. And so, so I, I, I think that that whole attitude is it permeates our, our recruiting unit and the diversity in our recruiting unit. And we're really, we're really big on female recruiters, you know, because again, when we're trying to track a female population in the perfect world, Jim, as you know, and, and the audience knows, is the the demographics of your department in the perfect world reflect the demographics of the people they're policing precisely. Well, it's never going to happen. There's never going to be more women police officers than male police officers, you know, but but San Francisco has gone a long, long way. We're like an almost 17% female now. Or so a major metropolitan department, we're way ahead of the curve in those things. You know, if you look at our African-American population, the population, African-American population of San Francisco is less than 5%. But we're over 10% of our department, I believe, is is is, is right in there and growing. You know, so so we're we're making headway. You know, there's things that culturally are different, difficult sometimes. Um, but but if you recognize that and you direct your recruiting that's specific, you're targeting that group, not at the expense of any other group, because because there is no bias in this. If you're qualified, we want you. We're 500 officers down. We're not we're not saying, geez, you know, you don't fit 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 the category. But, but in targeting people that make you a more diverse and better department that does reflect the, demog- the demographics of the city is a smart move. And, and, it, and it's, it's, it's a plus for the community and it's a plus for the employees because they have an opportunity to really make a difference in the community uh, that they were raised in and the culture they came from. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a game changer. For sure. Hey, I want to get more into the success. Sounds like you are a college football recruiter and a bit of a salesperson and you're keeping the the business going by keeping a spreadsheet. I want to talk about success, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Officer Store, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate. 
and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit us at officerstore.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Coach George Rush on recruiting police like a college coach. Okay, you get the candidates into the process. A common complaint from agencies are the ghosting by applicants who drop out of the process entirely. What are you doing to address that? You get 500 people signed up and 300 just pull a no-show. That's ghosting, right? Are you are you experiencing that? Yeah, um, I work real closely with uh, the agency that does the testing for a lot of the agencies in, in our general, you know, geographic area of the Bay Area. And a typical, so if I'm just giving you numbers to make it easy to do the math, but if 100 people show up to take a test, if you get 30 or 40 that actually show up to take the test versus sign up to take the test, you've done well. So where the other 60 go? Mm. You know, well, it was late. It's grandma's birthday. It was this or that. So you can look at that two ways. Um, you can say, well, I guess they weren't that interested. Off, let's go get somebody else. Or you can reapproach them again. You know, we have the names, we have the numbers, we know who they are, we know where they are, and see if we can't reapproach them and find out a what was some particular reason you couldn't make it, and if you are still interested, how can we get you back in the process? And at some point, if we've done this two or three times, then obviously you're not that interested in. You know, like I say, let's let, let me take your name off the list so we don't bother you with more calls. But ghosting is a problem uh, everywhere, 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 everywhere. And and that's not exclusive to us. We, we, we I'd say we're probably maybe slightly better because of our follow up. But there's many, many people don't show up for testing after they signed up and even people that pay for it. When the NTN was requiring a $50 payment, they still didn't show up, mm-hmm. you know, Um so you know it's 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 hard to say, and then and 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 then in deference to some young people, uh, you know they they're a recruiting event and they got caught up in the moment, you know it's like you're at the revival meeting, yeah, yeah, and everybody's all fired up, and then you get back and you say, is that what I really want to do, you know, and and you can have buyer's remorse and you just kind of melt into the wall and we don't see you again, but. Uh, yeah, we I think we really want to address that. I mean, that's something we address. The ghosting issue is big to us. Yeah, I would guess though that someone mid-career, maybe somebody in their 30s or later, who sign up, that I would guess if you looked at the numbers, they are more likely to show than some young people, where we may, you know, have that um, imposter syndrome. I know. You know, sometimes a younger person may not have the self-confidence and say, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. And and then it's easy for them to just not to show. Um, but it sounds like you're doing the follow-up and you're doing that personal touch. So I know you're not abandoning them altogether. They don't show up for one uh, test because you're, you're, you've got a rotation where you're constantly testing. Exactly. And, and some people miss legitimately and then they're embarrassed the embarrassed they missed, so they don't reapproach you because they think by missing that they, you know, they screwed it up and they're all done, and that's not the case. Hmm. You know, so you got to follow it up, and everybody's different. Everybody has a different reason, but it's obvious the people that are just, you know, playing around. And you know, you you talk about older candidates. I mean, we we have somebody in the academy recently that was in their fifties, 
you know, he, he, he left one career because he, he wanted to be a public service. He was making a lot of money doing something, but he didn't think he was making a difference. So he left that career and joined us at age 54, 55, he entered the academy. In the past, he's on the street now uh, because he wanted to make a difference. You know, not that he's going to work 20 years and be, you know, 75 out there, but the 10, the 10 years to him is important in terms of his own personal goal. And can I make a difference? So yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, that's great to hear. Hey, so you've, uh, what have you seen as the most important issue that resonates with potential candidates? You've been in my classrooms presenting to my criminal justice students, and I hear you uh, take a, a perspective pitch on economics. Is that a key point? I don't think we talk about economics enough. The the not only the salary, which is you know pretty significant, but then the benefits and then a pension at the end. I think you know we we have a lot of people in that gig economy. They're driving, they're delivering, they're doing part time, part time, part time, part time. I think when you let them know about the stability of the job, the the pay, the benefits, dental, health, all of that, uh, that really resonates with some, no? I, absolutely, it does. You know, it's it's really funny um, because I recruit a lot of places, I mean, a lot of universities. And I'd say 90% of the professors, I'm talking to people with PhDs that are tenured professors, so, so the, the, after I get done, they'll say, if you don't do this, you're crazy. You're going to make more than I'm making. <laughs> and, and you know, they, they've done through all this, you know, postgraduate work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in terms of your financial security, this is a great job. Right? And, I, and even I had no idea, you know. Uh, you know, it's a real eye-opener. And with the new contract, um, when you go enter the academy, it's just, it's a hundred, it's like 109,900 something dollars entering the academy while you're in training. You know, with your with your degree from college, in your sixth year, your base salary is now one sixty four. Your base wow. that's without overtime. At twenty five years, Jim, you you serve, so you know the base salary for a patrolman at twenty five years is a base, not no OT, is one hundred ninety seven thousand dollars. That's their base. So if you're doing some OT at twenty five years, you're bringing down two sixty. You know, I mean. And then the other thing is, you know, I would say, you know, you know, is is our dental plan better than somebody else's dental plan or medical? I mean, you can flip a coin. They're probably all in the comprehensively in the same ballpark. But our pension plan is significantly different. And how it's funded is different because we're I mean, I've talked to a lot of people. We're considered almost the gold standard of public pensions in the state of California because only the SFPD and fire department are in this pension system. Every other city employee is in a whole different pension system. And to change our pension system, to, to lower, not to increase benefits, but to lower benefits would take a two thirds majority. It'd have to go to the electorate because it's in the city charter. Now, I don't know of anybody else that has that kind of security. And that's, you know, sometimes when you're talking to somebody that's 24 and you say, and when you're 57, I mean, you might as well say you're 120, you know, it doesn't mean anything. But all of a sudden, as we all know, one day you're 24 and all of a sudden you're 48 and you got three kids and they're going to college and go, what happened? You know, and then that pension is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I mean, I, I really admire a guy like yourself. You know, you know, you're, you're retired SFPD and you have your pension and you have another career in, in, in um, higher education 
you know, you're teaching the university, doing the things you're doing as we discussed. But how many careers allow you to do those kinds of things? You know, and even our working conditions where you work, you know, four four days, 10 hours a day. Well, there's lots of people that choose not to have overtime. And I've told people all the money to make an overtime. It's not, nobody's making them do it. It's voluntary or overtime. There's so many things that require, you know, um, sworn officers to be present that, you know, and some of them are fun. You know, they're, they're at concerts, they're at uh, Warriors games, they're at baseball games. You used to go to 49er games. They don't go anymore. They let somebody else handle it. But uh, I mean, so many things. So it is really, really the economics of this job and the longevity of it and it, how it carries you and your wife or your significant other. Okay. Because if, if you, if people don't think of this, well, when Jim goes, it's poor Mrs. Dudley. Well, it's not. Mrs. Dudley is getting the same thing as Jim did. You know, there is no difference. I mean, the financial security provides your families. Unbelievable. I mean, and, and I'm, I was in Calisters, so, and I've got a great pension, but yours is better. Well, all those long nights uh, are, were worth it then, I guess. Yeah. Hey, uh, I am totally thankful for you coming on, and I want to be um, uh, cognizant of your time you're spending. I want to ask you one more question, and I know that you're involved in the community college uh, working on a program that essentially takes students through the process, gets them in shape, practicing all the arrays of testing, and at graduation gets them right on a track into backgrounds. Tell us about that. And they get college credit. Tell us about it. Well, we're really excited about this program. It's really a, a kind of a pilot program. I don't know anybody else that's doing exactly what we're doing in the state of California. But we partnered with the uh, Administration of Justice Department at the City College of San Francisco. It's Administration uh, of Justice 83, and it's a three-unit course. It's Cal State transferable. So even if you took the course and said, no, I just I want to go to SF State or you know some, some other CSU, it's transferable. It's going to help you in terms of your, 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 your uh, total number of units for graduation. But the most important thing we do in this class is the class isn't generally how do you prepare to be a policeman. It's how do you prepare to be a San Francisco policeman. So everything is geared. So we, we have speakers come in on the pellet B. We have physical training. There's a physical training portion to it where they train within the class. So it's, it's a Wednesday night, three-hour class. Tomorrow night's the last night to add, <laughs> if, if, if anybody can hear me out there. But uh, it's a, a, a – and then, and then we give mock interviews, train you to take the interview. And then during three periods during the course, you'll take a real pellet B. It counts. If you fail it, if you pass it, you don't need to take it the next time. You're already done. If you pass it, you're going to get to take it two more, fail it, you take it and take it two more times before the semester's over. Same thing with the PAT. You're going to get three bites of the apple because they're spaced correctly 32 days apart. So we meet the requirements. That that, And the same with the interview. We, we offer two interview periods. So if you pass each of those, the application process is part of the class. This is a real on-hands business class. This isn't practicing. This is doing the real deal. So if you pass those things, when you come out of the class, you are in fact in backgrounds. You've already applied. You've taken all three of the tests, passed them all, and you're in backgrounds. That's a pretty good deal. And it's really good for people that don't have confidence in themselves initially. I don't think I can do it. It's too hard. I can't get over the wall. By the time this course is over, you'll do all those things. 
And we have uh, two retired San Francisco police officers that are on the um, adjunct faculty at City College, uh, teach the course. And then we have uh, guest officers come in and, and help with the training and, and special units and talk about backgrounds. And we, it's really wonderful. We help you with your background packet. So we, we every student has a binder and we build your background packet. So when you do go to backgrounds and you have to submit your background packet, it's already done. You've already done it in class. It's just here, here you go. And it's done to the letter, it's perfect. So we're really excited about this program and uh, think that, you know, there's a really a, a long-term uh, uh, chance for success with it and then just adding more and more people as they become aware because we didn't even start the idea of doing it till June and the college was wonderful you know, adding it uh, as, as a laid out on their, their uh, course selection for the fall. Nice. Hey, I want to thank you so much. You are doing some really uh, innovative things. You're doing great things. I know you've just enjoyed the uh, highest number of recruits in a class, probably since 2020, I believe. So oh sounds like you're working it. Well, we're, we're doing the best we can. We have a great crew, you know, you know, Sergeant Yu is our, uh, runs the, uh, is the supervisor of, of recruitment, but he's, does a good job. We've got a really good, uh, uh, office, a combination of offices and big employees that work together. And, uh, well, just like any team, Jim, you know, you got all pulled together and you roll in the same direction, make good things happen. Spoken like a real coach. <laughs> Thanks for parting words. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, coach and recruiter. <laughs> George Rush. Thank you so much. No, I'll see you later. Thank you. Thank All right. You. Hey, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, shoot me uh, a letter, an email at policingmatters at policeone.com. Policingmatters at policeone.com. What are you doing at your agency that's a little bit different, that's uh, enjoying some success? And if you are interested in hearing more about Coach George Rush, and what they're doing at the SFPD. I'm going to put a couple of links in the show notes. So open it up, take a look, click on it, and you can see more. All right, take good care. And I hope to talk to you again real soon. Stay safe. I'm Jim Dudley.